Well, I wanted to show that video clip tonight because I think it is one of the best concise uh, responses to what is the unforgivable sin that I have found. And so what I want to do is simply take what he said uh, tonight and unpack it for us um, as a people. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 3 and verses 20 to 30. Mark chapter 3 and verses 20 through 30. That will be our main text tonight. And just hold your place there for a few minutes. Along with Tom Schreiner, I would say one of the more frequent questions that I get asked or have been asked over the years is what is the unforgivable sin or have I committed the unforgivable sin? And what I want to do before we look at that is to take two what I believe are simplistic answers to this that both are sincere but incorrect. And so if some of you have been taught this in the past, I am not being critical, I'm just saying I don't think it is what the unforgivable sin is. Here are two common responses that pastors have given kind of at opposite extremes. One is, and this is a very common one, is the unforgivable sin is just rejecting the gospel over and over again until the day I die. Therefore, I die without the gospel, without accepting Christ as Savior. Therefore, I'm not forgiven. Well, that is true. If someone continues to reject the gospel message and then dies, they will not be forgiven. But that is not, I, I want to share with you tonight, that is not what the unforgivable sin is. The other extreme, or kind of opposite, is some have taught over the years that the scribes and Pharisees accused Jesus of this, of blasphemy, or they blasphemed him because of his work, attributing it to the devil. And they were especially critical of Jesus during his earthly ministry. So this was something that they accused Jesus of in his earthly ministry. Jesus is no longer on earth, therefore you can't even commit the unforgivable sin because Jesus is no longer walking the earth. They, some have taught that this is a unique sin that could only be committed while the Son of Man was actually walking the earth. And what I want to share with you tonight, I understand why people say those kinds of things, but I think those are simplistic answers that don't do the hard work of looking at actually what the Bible says or what the text says. And so I want to look at the sin very specifically and take off from what Tom Schreiner has said in the video and deal with this issue. In Mark chapter 3, it starts off in Mark 3 where Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Then he appoints the 12 apostles. Then we come in Mark chapter 3 to verse 20. And we read, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, and I want you to notice this very carefully, He is possessed by Beelzebul, 
and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one, excuse me, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, I just want you to hold your place there, and then on the screen we're going to have Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. This is the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12. Yeah, you're good. I'm going to put that up there. And in Matthew's, Matthew records, Jesus is saying, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, notice this, will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I just want you to kind of have both of those passages kind of fixed in your mind as I move through this. And so our first point tonight is, is there an unforgivable sin? I mean, that sounds so dramatic and harsh, and, and it is. Jesus is talking about the forgiveness of God. And we know that salvation... When we talk about salvation, at its core, salvation is God no longer holding my sins against me. And so the worst news in the world is that God will never forgive you. What men think of my sin and your sin is relatively unimportant. But what God thinks of my sin and your sin is infinitely important. And I want you to know tonight how serious this is, that when Jesus says never, he really means never. If a human being says to me, I will never forgive you, it may wound me, but I can go on with my life. But if God says, I will never forgive you, there is nowhere else to turn in all of the universe. And I want you to notice that in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls it an eternal sin. And then in Matthew chapter 12, he says that it will never be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. That is dramatic, sweeping language in Scripture. You will never be forgiven you are beyond forgiveness. So, the answer to the first question is yes. 
there is an unforgivable sin. The Bible clearly teaches there is such a thing as an unforgivable sin. Again, Jesus calls it an eternal sin. It is a sin that cannot be forgiven. It is a sin that sends a person into eternity to bear his guilt under God's wrath forever. And so that begs the question, which is our second point, and that is, what is the unforgivable sin? The unforgivable sin is clearly blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In verse 22 of Mark chapter 3, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying of Jesus, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. The reason he can cast out demons is he, he is possessed by the demons. And then in verse 30, it says, For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. They are saying he has a demonic spirit. So, Jesus is warning the teachers of the law that they are on the brink of the unforgivable sin. That is what's happening in Mark chapter 3 and in Matthew 12. Jesus is warning the scribes and Pharisees that they are on the very doorstep of committing the unforgivable sin. When they see the work of the Holy Spirit and call it the work of Satan, they are about to step over the edge into everlasting guilt and punishment. I want to repeat that again. I don't have it on the screen. I probably should have, but I want to read that for you again. When they see the work of the Holy Spirit and call it the work of Satan, they are about to step over the edge into everlasting guilt and punishment. It is so interesting here. Jesus says that all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven except one. I want you to think about that. All sins and blasphemies will be forgiven. So a person can use the Lord's name in vain. They can curse God with vile words. They can shake their fist at God. They can be a murderer, an adulterer, a thief. And if they are repentant, they can still be forgiven. They can still come to know Christ as Savior. If there is genuine repentance, any sin will be forgiven, except one. And that's what's so fascinating about this. If there is genuine repentance, any sin can be forgiven, except one. There is an exception. So I know I've said, others have said, that any sin can be forgiven, but there is an exception to that. Truth be told, in Scripture, there is one key exception. Now, we know that when Jesus came on the scene, his whole ministry was one of repentance, of calling people to repentance and forgiveness. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. 
in Mark chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15, we have that great gospel proclamation where it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's how we see the ministry of Jesus. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. So, why does Jesus exclude one sin and one blasphemy from his promise? That is what we're asking tonight. Why does Jesus exclude one sin and one blasphemy from his promise? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a determined refusal to repent and to take the work of the Holy Spirit and to attribute that work to Satan. And therefore, that puts a man or a woman beyond forgiveness, according to Scripture. If a sin so hardens your heart that you refuse to repent, then you cannot be forgiven. So we need to understand, as the people of God, the unique and decisive role that the Holy Spirit plays in our salvation. Now let's just go back over a very basic theology lesson, but is very pertinent to this message. It is the Father, God the Father, who has planned salvation from eternity past. It is God the Son who carried out the plan of the Father, who became our perfect lamb, our perfect substitute, and died in our place and was victoriously resurrected and gloriously ascended to the right hand of the Father. But it is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin and of your need for that accomplished work of Christ in your life. Folks, I want you to understand tonight that apart from the Holy Spirit, no one comes to Christ. You can't come to Christ apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. In your natural self, in your own flesh, with no work of the Holy Spirit, you will not, you will not come to Christ. No one ever has. In Romans chapter 3, it says that no one understands and no one seeks for God on his own. It is only by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit that you are able to repent and to believe. And so without the work of the Spirit, you cannot come to salvation. So, if we taste and see the power of the Holy Spirit, we sense the work of the Spirit in our lives and reject His work as nothing more than the work of Satan, we shut ourselves off from the only one who could ever bring us to repentance. To shut off the Holy Spirit is to shut off the only one who can convict you of your sin and bring you to repentance and belief. We literally shut ourselves off from forgiveness. So again, 
This is not simply refusing to believe the gospel until we die. It is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit and attributing that work to Satan in such a way that it hardens our hearts beyond the scope of forgiveness. John Piper writes, The unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an act or resistance which belittles the Holy Spirit so grievously that he withdraws forever with his convicting power so that we are never able to repent and be forgiven. There is a real consistency among Bible commentators on what this is. And I want to read three more descriptions of the unforgivable sin because I want you to have a clear understanding of this. These three are not on the screen. That would have been too much to put on the screen, but I just want to read these for you. First, from John MacArthur. During Jesus' earthly ministry, the unbelieving Pharisees and all the others who blaspheme the Spirit cut themselves off from God's mercy, not because it was not offered, but because it was abundantly offered and yet rebelliously and permanently rejected and ridiculed as satanic. William Hendrickson, in the Baker New Testament commentary series in the book of Mark, writes this, For penitence, they substitute hardening. For confession, plotting. Thus, by means of their own criminal and completely inexcusable callousness, they are dooming themselves. Their sin is unpardonable because they are unwilling to tread the path that leads to pardon. For a thief, an adulterer, and a murderer, there is hope. The message of the gospel may cause him to cry out, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But when a man has become hardened so that he has made up his mind not to pay attention to the Spirit, he has placed himself on the road that leads to perdition. And then from the book, the excellent book, The Hard Sayings of the Bible, edited by F.F. F. Bruce and Walter Kaiser. I think they really nail this here because Jesus was healing. He was doing all kinds of miracles. And they're saying, that's of Satan. That's of Satan, not of God. This is what they write. If some people looked at the relief which he was bringing to the bodies and minds of men and women, and maintained that he was doing so with the help of their great spiritual oppressor, the prince of the demons, then their eyes were so tightly closed to the light that for them light had become darkness and good had become evil. The light is there for those who will accept it, but if some refuse the light, where else can they hope to receive illumination? So, the unforgivable sin is to sense the work of the Holy Spirit, but not only reject it, but to credit that work to Satan himself and to his demons in such a way that it so hardens your heart and your will that you are on, that you are beyond repentance and 
forgiveness. Well, our third point tonight is this. What should our response be to such a sin? First of all, three, I want to give you three thoughts here. What should our response be to such a sin? First of all, it should cause all of us to live with a sense of fear and trembling in the light of the evil within the human heart. To think that there are men and women who are just like us, made up just like us, who can become so evil, so hardened, that they will take the gracious grace of God, which he is offering to them, and so harden their hearts that not only do they reject it, but they give credit for that to Satan and to his demons. Oh, the sin that is within our hearts without Christ goes farther than we will ever understand. Secondly, and Tom Schreiner alluded to this one, we must keep in mind that only God knows who has committed the unforgivable sin. I do not know as a human being, as a man, who has committed the unforgivable sin, but God does know. He does know, and I totally agree with what he said in the video. And that is, I do not believe that a genuine born-again Christian can commit this sin because you have already received the grace of God in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And so you have not rejected the work of the Spirit and cannot commit this sin. And I loved what he said, and I have shared this with you before. If you think you have committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. If it bothers you, or I like the word he used, if it, it tortures you, then you haven't committed it. Because if you have committed the unforgivable sin, you don't care. In fact, if you said to someone, I think you've committed the unforgivable sin, and they have, or even discussed it, they would laugh at you, they would mock you, because they really don't care if they have or if they haven't. And then third, the reality of the unforgivable sin challenges some of our common ideas about salvation. God takes our sin very seriously. Salvation is not just, okay, pray a prayer. Salvation is not, okay, just raise your hand, say you love Jesus and you're saved. We must allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in the life of unbelievers. We must. We must let them come to a point through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit that they have sinned and they desperately need a Savior. The gospel is simple, but don't make it out to be something that it is not. There must be genuine repentance and belief for a person to be saved, and that can only happen under the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I believe very much so that we must call people to make a decision, but at the same time, if they're not yet ready, we must let the Holy Spirit do his work. It is better to wait and let them feel the weight of their own sin and genuinely come to know Christ as Savior than to deceive them into making some kind of false commitment or come to some kind of false conversion. Let us take salvation very seriously. 
God takes all of our sins seriously and we must allow him to bring a person to repentance and belief. I want to close tonight by reading the last two paragraphs from John MacArthur's commentary on this particular issue on Mark chapter 3. And I just want you to listen. He tells a story and then makes a comment. And this is what he says. During World War II, an American naval force in the North Atlantic was engaged in heavy battle with enemy ships and submarines on an exceptionally dark night. Six planes took, took off from the carrier to search out those targets, but while they were in the air, a total blackout was ordered for the carrier in order to protect it from attack. Without lights on the carrier's deck, the six planes could not possibly land. And they made a radio request for the lights to be turned on just long enough for them to come in. But because the entire carrier, with its several thousand men as well as all the other planes and equipment, would have been put in jeopardy, no lights were permitted. When the six planes ran out of fuel, they had to ditch in the freezing water, and all crew members perished into eternity. And then he writes this. There comes a time when God turns out the lights, when further opportunity for salvation is forever lost. That is why Paul told the Corinthians, now is the acceptable time Behold, now is the day of salvation. One who rejects full light can have no more light and no more forgiveness. As we close tonight, I want you to think about this. No, as Christians, we cannot commit the unforgivable sin. But let us be reminded that as Christians we can quench the Spirit and resist the Spirit. And even those things are no small things in the sight of God. If the Spirit of God is convicting you about anything in your life, let Him have His full way with you. Maybe even tonight, the Spirit of God has been convicting you about a particular sin that is ongoing in your life or about a relationship that needs to be reconciled or resolved, I would say to all of us, with me at the top of the list, when you feel that conviction, do not resist it, do not quench it. The work of the Holy Spirit is a precious gift, a precious, precious gift in all of our lives. And so when God comes knocking, even in our lives. Let us surrender. Let us yield fully to that beautiful work of the Spirit as he seeks to make us like Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is almost unreal that the human heart can be some become so callous and so hardened as to be beyond forgiveness. And it reminds each of us, thank you, that by your grace, we did not resist, 
and we did receive the precious gift of salvation that is ours in Christ. But oh, let us be a people who are so tender, so sensitive to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Oh God, help us never to quench or to resist the Spirit, but to let him have his full way with each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.